0: Hello and welcome to the Garland Pepper Presents podcast. Today my guest is Michael Davies. Michael Davies is a musician out of England with a band called LAC. Uh, LAC stands for Law Abiding Citizen. They're kind of a punk anthem band. They're fun. And I think you're going to really like it, and you're going to really enjoy Michael. This is a interesting story. He's had a tough road, and uh, he's working on making the best of it now. So follow him. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Garland Pepper Presents podcast. Today, my guest is Michael Davies. Michael Davies is a musician out of uh, England, London, I believe, right? That's correct, yeah. Yeah. And uh, we met up uh, on Facebook where we've got mutual friends, uh, probably Pete or someone of the Dandy Warhols or maybe through jo- Brian Jonestown friend page or something. I don't know how we got connected. Um, Could
1: have been the Dandy Warhols to be honest.
0: But yeah, we're, we're,
1: I'm not sure.
0: Yeah. yeah. So I've done a couple interviews with a couple of them, uh, Pete and, and Zia so far. Hopefully mm. I'll, I'll do interviews with all of them at some point So, uh, Michael, what have you, uh, tell me about yourself. Just tell me a little bit about who you are and like how you came up and all of that.
1: Well, I'm a typical sort of working class sort of uh, British lad, really, you know, that, um, you know, me and my brother, it's both, it's mine and my brother's band. We've been going now for probably 14 years. I mean, 10 years properly, but, you know, we had a, you know, we're just a typical British working class band with a lot to say. And we're from the street and it's real, you know, it's like we, there's no gimmicks with us. We'll show all the flaws. We'll show, you know, we'll just show it for what it is. You know, we're not beating around the bush in any shape or form. And we just tell it how it is. There's nothing really else to say about that. We're just real. Real yeah. people.
0: What are what are some of the stories of of, like, your neighborhood growing up, like, where were well, you in the pecking order were you uh
1: well we're sort of like on the skirts it? of london we're sort of like on the skirts of london and like 2 minutes down the road one day one way you've got like um windsor castle where the queen lives and and you know and all the rest of it and then where i live is it's just sort of like council estate it's very run down it's very poor um it's uh yeah it's 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 not, it's, it's not a great place, but, you know, you you don't see the kids crying or nothing like that. You know, they're, they're always smiling, those sorts of children, you know, and just, it's, it's just, it's a great place to live because you've got the unity of the community, you know, yeah, the yeah, working yeah. class seem to just sort of pull together and they sort of move as one and, and, you know i believe my songwriting represents these people you know as well as everyone else i think we're the people's band you know i honestly believe that
0: so you mentioned that community and 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 that is true that that the more poverty there is the stronger communities seem to be at some level then there's also the weak links you know like the problems that happen with it too but there is that pulling together that you see and you don't see it with with the more posh or the insular, you know, kind of people, they they just stick yeah, to their own.
1: Yeah. Help each no, other. That, yeah, that's correct. No, you don't. You don't. It's it's all character building stuff, though, really, isn't it? You know, it's just okay. like, you know, it's not. It's you know, to us growing up, kids who went to Spain were were posh kids. You know, it's just.
0: Sure.
1: It's just you know we come from a very sort of like poor backgrounds you know and um that's kind of the way it is you know and so um it's not a a choice of life it's 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 a way of life because you've got no choice but to live it when you're in the thick of it you know yeah so obviously i've made my mistakes you know and i had my issues but I've as you know we got out of it for years you know We, we got signed to warner's in 2010 Mm-hmm. And we were living the dream, you know. But um, I just went off the rails too much money, and I just think it, I think. And at the time, I fired my accountant and and took control of all my cash. Although everyone got paid, it was just I I just went completely off the rails. And um, have you heard of the Happy Mondays?
0: Yeah, yeah. it was just
1: well, Bez, Yeah. Well, best from Happy Mondays. At the time, he was sort of like. Me and him was just like I was staying with him. I went up to Manchester and I was staying with him at the time and he was trying to like sort me out and get my head straight and he was putting me on support with the Happy Mondays and but um I just weren't ready. It was just I was just young, naive, stupid and oblivious to what was really going on around me. I was getting pulled from this world, this working class sort of world, and suddenly I'm sat in this big corporate fucking world and it's I didn't feel like I I belonged, you know, and I right, probably yeah. Uh, to be honest, I don't, right? yeah and I and I didn't feel like I was good enough at the time, you know, as well. Yeah, so, yeah. So uh, so I had this big belief thing going on um t- you know, so it was yes, yeah, just one of them, so
0: I like that picture, your little uh your picture for uh your face. Um What's going on? What happened here? Did you go away? Oh, shit. Well, it looks like we, uh, I'm going to pause recording for a minute. Everything that we've already said was not recording. Now we're recording.
1: Do you want to start from the top?
0: Yeah, let's start from the top. So ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Garland Pepper Presents podcast. I'm here with Michael Davies. Um, We were not recording, so we're going to start recording. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. doggone it. Yeah, we had a little glitch. We fell out, and then we came back, and we thought we were recording, or I thought I was recording, and I wasn't. So uh, my apologies if we missed some great stories, because there's some good stuff here. Mike, if if you just want to start back up, Michael Davies, my guest here on the Garland Pepper Presents podcast, with kind of how... Uh, you came up in music, your music journey, I guess. Would, would that be the best place to start?
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, it started off when I was a kid. My dad was a musician. My whole family have been musicians. He sort of forced me into guitar. I hated it when I was a kid, but he wouldn't give me my pocket money unless I sort of did it. He used to sit there and make me play until my fingers bled. Mm-hmm. Like... And he, like no really like really hardcore than my dad was. My dad was a great guitarist as well. But um you know, he's 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 an old man now. He's but um <clears throat> so it kind of started from there. But um I was sort of like drilled with like T Rex, the Stones and the Beatles and it ain't fashionable to enjoy your your parents' music when you're that sort of age. Yeah. You know, and um and then Oasis came out and I and 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 I'd been playing for a couple of years at this point, but they were from a council estate just like me and my brother. And yeah. um, you know, and I kinda looked at them and I thought, oh, if they can do it, I can do it. And I was only about eight or nine years old at this point, you know, I just see Noel Gallagher with that three, five, five guitar and a woollen jumper, and I just thought he's a fucking geezer. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's kind of how it was when I was a kid. So then I sat there in a room for probably I don't know. I think all you heard coming out of my bedroom for a year was probably, like, cigarettes and alcohol played on one string. You know what I mean? I just yeah, literally yeah. learned racist songs all on one string. I, I suddenly got a love for music because I found my own music, not my dad's music. Yeah. And then it kind of developed from there into, like... Yeah. And now I love all the T-Rex and that. It's one one of my favourite bands of all time, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it's weird. Things are planned out, but... um. Yeah, it's one of them, really. So, and it just developed. I had a couple of other bands. I was um, in one band. I think it was two thousand two to two thousand five was the Young Offenders Institute. We got signed to the same label as like Joy Division, Factory, uh, Factory Records, and all the rest of it, and um, Happy Mondays, and all the rest of it. And
0: so and that was that. And that Monday? sort of
1: disbanded.
0: Did you play? So it? like. Um, Pardon? Did you play with the Happy Mondays?
1: I couldn't even tell you how many times I've played with the Happy Mondays because I actually used to manage Bez as well a few years back. Well, Mm. about 10, 11 years ago. I was the worst promoter in the world. I mean, I'm a great, I'm a good songwriter, but (laughs) I'm not, you know what I mean? Even Bez says now, he says the gigs are amazing, but you're the worst promoter I ever had, you know? But we were such good friends. Me and Bez just clicked, you know? because he had the whole sort of... uh, He went to prison for the same amount of time when he was the same age as me as a kid and all the things. So we just, you know, it just happens, and he's just so real, you know? And he helped the band in a million ways when we were getting signed as well, you know? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So, uh, yeah, I've got a lot of love for the Mondays. A lot of love for the Mondays. Yeah, it's one of them. And that's why we use the Mondays um, producer as well, because one of my most... Um, influential records for me personally was sort of like step on by the Happy Mondays. And um and Steve Osborne um produced that with Paul Oakenfold. And that's why I always wanted to work with Steve Osborne, simply because he made that record and it was like one of my favourite records. You yeah. know? It's just and so when we had that budget and got signed to Warner and had all the big fucking, you know, five, six figure fucking budgets to play with and that. It was just like, right, who are we going to get to do this record? Because like, we don't just want to get anyone. We want, you know, so we got Adrian Hall, who was a Black Eyed Peas producer. We got Steve Osborne, who had produced that, um, the Happy Mondays, and loads of other bands. And uh, we went down to Peter Gabriel's studio in, in Bath in England, and uh, it's called Real World. And it's just a fucking huge studio. It was just like we were down there for quite a while and and just doing loads of pre productions and things like that. But it just weren't happening there, you know, because we'd always we would come from a very poor sort of council estate, very working class sort of thing. And and, and we'd we, we could never afford these big rehearsal rooms. So we went from these tiny little cubicles to these big into big glass boxes, spaced out miles apart from each other. And there was just no vibe going on in the recording. So that those sessions were kind of scrapped. I think we managed to salvage about two tracks from the whole sessions. Wow. And, um, and then we got Adrian Hall and went, went, no, yeah. I think we went down to Jethro Toll studio actually before that. Yeah. We went down to Jeff Toll studio. And, and that was much smaller. And the band were in the room together. Um, we all had good eye contact. We were close. It was the way we'd always done it in a room, four guys in a room together. And um, it just happened. It was just real, real energetic, um, fast-paced sessions, you know? And, like, literally, we were doing, like, 100 takes of the track. And it, would, it was either the first five takes would always be the ones that we went with, you know? It's, yeah. I think that happens a lot in all music, though, you know? But it's just the nature of the game. And, and Adrian Hall is just fucking unbelievable. He's just sort of, like, helped to, like, make the album more anthemic, professional. Like, he helped us... Because even Bez said at the time, Bez said, your songs are fucking great, but there's too much going on. Everyone at the time was trying to outdo each other in the band. Yeah. And Bez was like, Bez was like saying to me one day, and I'll never forget it, he was like, you need to strip it back. You need to create space and time in the music. The songs are fucking great, but you need to let the songs come through. You know? And he was completely right. And, um... And that's where Adrian all come in. He sort of stripped all back, and we started from the kick drum all the way up and just reworked right. all the tunes. Start you with know, it took,
0: Yes. Dress it up later.
1: Yeah, that's it. Just strip it back to the beer bones, get everything. Because, to be honest, if you can strip it back, no fucking effects... Nothing at all like that, and you can play a song with your band, no vocal or whatever, and you can make it sound good. Then it's going to sound fucking amazing when you do put it together. You know, if yeah. you can get it good, as a good dry sound, <clears throat> then and obviously then you you can you can see it. But sometimes someone said to me recently, sometimes you can't see when you're too close to something. You know, and and that can happen quite easily in music. You can get too wrapped up in it.
0: Well that's what prison so, did for you. Yeah. It stepped you back.
1: Oh yeah, I mean I mean, I wasn't expecting that as well. That was something. I mean, obviously me and my brother, we were on tour at the time. This is how the prison thing come about. And we were doing so well and, and obviously we, we 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 got a big fuck off studio, recording studio, huge it was. We had our own studio over in Reading. And in England, and and uh, yes, yeah, tragic really that um it just became it 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 wasn't that 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 year 2012 going into 2013 just you know although financially I was minted I had everything I ever wanted but I was I I don't think I can think of one time in my life where I didn't complain more I mean I spent that whole time just complaining, you know, it just, I wasn't happy, I was ill, I'd let a load of parasites in, I mean, the, there was more people coming through the back door of the gigs than there was buying tickets and fucking, it it, it was just getting out of van, that, like the whole shebang, we were on tour with her Mondays and we got people like Bez telling us to calm down, we had people like Pete Doherty telling us to calm down and just, you know, and there has to be a point where you have to start thinking, hang on a minute, you know what's going on here, you know? And just, yeah, just led to me and my brother. We, we, we were on this tour and we, we'd we done a few gigs. We'd played with Shambles, or Pete, uh, I think it was a solo gigs, actually. And uh, we'd done a few with him during the sessions and we'd worked our way round to um, the Kentish Town Forum and we were headlining it. And uh, yeah, so first song into the set, like uh, my guitar was breaking up and there was issues, and the band had been rowing for the last sort of like few gigs, you know, last few days, and and uh, I don't, I just don't know what it was. I just said something to my brother, and it just kicked off, and it it was me, like hand on my heart, like I see it now. It took us years to talk about this, and to be honest, I was so bitter about this for years because you got to imagine you spend and you put all your efforts. You come from the poorest background ever you know, I've lost a lot of people in my life, I've had my mates murdered and all sorts of stuff and, and, you know, I've witnessed a lot of shit that I didn't want to witness and I'm not proud of the prison thing at all and in fact I'm absolutely disgusted with it really looking back on it now but you know, it's just so much was going on, me and my brother fell out, and I, you know, without that band, without mine and my brother's band, I just felt like there was nothing else left anyway, and Warners at the time were saying, no, you've got an EP coming out, you have to commit to your part of the contract, and they made me tour it with, like, session musicians and that, it weren't even the fucking band, you know what I mean, so I finished this tour, supporting the Happy Mondays, and Oh man, it just weren't a good time, and I was by then I was completely off the rails. We shot a video for the first um, record, Borstal Boy, and I was watching the playbacks that day on the camera, and I was just I just turned around to the director, and I was just goes, I can't be in this video. I said I looked to him. Well, it was the first time I actually realised. Oh my God, I'm ill here. You know that something needs to be done. I'm not well, and and. Uh, so one of the actors in the video ended up putting my jacket on and that and playing me. And I just sort of stood in the background and just watched the video go and just, and it was a very personal song as well to me as well. And the storyline goes banging with the song. And so it was like reliving an incident, you know, that, you know, LAC Borsa boy. And, and then we had the Guardian give us band of the day and then they came and to a couple of gigs on the tour but by now my brother had left and they asked me who the band members was and I said Mike Davies and because at the end of the day that's all it was at the time and they, they kind of slated us and then that knocked my confidence a bit more because obviously now I was getting pulled into the mainstream press so and Paul Lester the journalist I idolized him I I'd, would have done anything for him to even know who I was so for him to like sort of like Slag me off and try, like, saying, oh, it's just going to be another, you know, Sham 69 or Billy Bragg. Well, I'll take that. You know, I'll take fucking Billy Bragg and Sham 69 all day long, mate. Like, I fucking love those artists, you know what I mean? And um, I think I made a comment, uh, like, to him that that referred back to um, Sham 69, where it was just like... If the kids are never divided, if the kids are united, they'll never be divided or whatever, something like that. And um, <clears throat> he kind of used it all against me. And it was just like saying it was just Mike Davison and a bunch of mates. But it were not like that. Obviously, i would lost my brother. And then obviously, I went off the rails. I lost my recording studio to Inland Revenue. They took the lot. Um, I fired my accountant, spent all the money on drugs, you know, just living the high life of famous rock and roll stars. I won't say no names. And we were just driving. We just, we were just on a road trip for about six months of just like, just fucking, I never injected or nothing like that. I mean, but I mean the crack cocaine and, and, and smoking heroin in and, and spliss and that. And just, it just, it's fucking embarrassing. You know, it's, and I, I'm not going to sit there and like hide it or and things like that because I I think that it does need to be spoken about. I think I think that if you know one person can change their life maybe because of maybe something you know if I can help some one person then obviously I've done what I set out to do in the first place. You know, if you can yeah. help more than one person, even better. But
0: well, the irony know, is, you know, there's this kid he sees Oasis and. He sees himself in Oasis mm. and he actually gets to this place where he's going that direction.
1: Yeah, and but I knew, knew and inside, him by like then as well.
0: Didn't feel like he deserved it. And so mm. you, you, you slip right the out.
1: That's Down the key. That's the key. That was pole. the key there. Yeah. Yeah, that was the key. I didn't feel like I deserved it. And in fact, I, I, I actually thought I didn't see myself as now a working professional musician. I actually saw myself as a professional blagger. You know, at the time I was thinking, oh, they're gonna suss me out soon. They're gonna realise. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was like, because it was, it was just one of them things. And then that—that's what I'm where the drugs were blanketing it up. You know. Yeah. And that yeah. making life a bit bearable because one minute it's no. One, hide. Behind. Yeah, exactly. Give me something to hide behind and just, and you know, one you can just go to the cash point and just fucking withdraw more money. It's just you know, it's not like we had to go out stealing and that for for the drug. It was just literally, I'd 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 say to me, I'd go and score, so go down to the studio and and wouldn't even pick up the guitar once. I'd be in there about a week and it'd just be like, score smoke, gouge out, score smoke, gouge out, and it would just be that all day long for like about six months. And it's you know, anyway, next thing I know, I ended up in prison. So five years in prison, and when I was in prison, I I found out my brother had cancer, and I walked up to the med hatch that day, and I said, "See all these drugs? I was on Valium, I was on pregabalin, I was on methadone, I I was on I was on fucking um, antidepressants, ketamine, stelaprams, you name it. I was they they were just doping me up with drugs for years." And I just walked up to the med and said, I'm not taking this shit no more. I'm going back in my cell and I'm going to rattle this out. And the screw, the officers, I call them screws. We call them screws in England. So all the, the wardens, maybe. Is that what you call them in the States? Yeah, uh, wardens, yeah. Yeah, so like, um, so anyway, the wardens uh, were, were just like, Michael, you can't do this. I said, no, I am going to do this. I goes, I've got three years left. I goes, if I do this now... I goes, I goes. I'll be ready for when I get released. But they just wanted to sort of like, and I had no help from the prison system, no help from the nurses. They all laughing at me. The only help I had in prison, three months I was ill for, coming off all their medications, three months. And the only people that looked after me were the boys on the wing, the other inmates. They were the ones looking out for me, not no officers or
0: authority. You know their systems don't work. So and methadone in a cell by yourself, mm, shaking your ass off, just
1: three months. I didn't sleep for three months, and do you know what? I wouldn't have done it any other way. I sit in now. At the time, I didn't think that. I mean, fuck me, I wanked myself to death as well because all your all your no, nah, but all your nerve system comes back, doesn't it? where, where yeah. the opiates were shutting down the receptors, and it was all coming back. So all my urges and thoughts and feelings, emotions and things like that. And then I wasn't sleeping and I was just kicking the door shut. I don't even think I ate for the first two weeks, you know. And then in the end, the lads come in my cell and it was just like, come on, Michael, you got to get in the shower. And they literally carried me to the shower. I was so ill. And they helped me and I come back to my cell and they'd cleaned up all the sick. The lads did. They cleaned. My cell was fucking spotless when I got out of the shower. They threw a load of fags in there for me. And they were just like, look, just fucking keep soldiering on now. And, you know, and and the whole time the officers were trying to get me back onto the substitutes, you know, because they just didn't want to deal with the aggravation, really. They just fucking wanted an easy day. And so that's how I know the prison system doesn't
0: work, you know. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You know, I worked with people with disabilities, you know, people with mental disabilities and challenges like that. And they drug the hell out of those people in group homes just to keep them, you know, from I running. I believe it, and numb it as well. Yeah. And so, yeah. yeah, I guess institutionalized, you know, numbing makes the job yeah. easier for the for the guards, doesn't it?
1: Of course, it does. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah
1: it, yeah, it definitely does. And I had there was a lot of violence in in jail and things like that, and I was forced to do things, you know, that I would have never have done. I mean you know, when you, you know, like, <laughs> I got my jaw broke, got six pins in my jaw, currently undergoing like a, um, uh, a teeth job getting implants and that, I won a med- medical negligence case against the prison system and that, like I got, got it with a tape, I had a mobile phone though in jail and obviously the lads had found out about it and some of the big gangsters come in try taking off me but it was about six of them and they were just this is all in my book i wrote a book about the whole rise and fall of everything you know it's about how someone goes from nothing to something
0: mm-hmm. hero
1: zero to hero and back to zero you know yeah so that's kind of like where it was going and and you know it just I just, day by day, like, literally, when I give up everything, I give up the cigarettes. I give—I didn't smoke for three years until January this year. I started smoking cigarettes again, you know? Yeah. So, like, um... A which was a big, yeah, just... I think that was the anxiety, though, of just coming out, and I reconnected with someone who was very important with me when i come out of jail, and, you know, and she was a big part of my life and that. But, obviously, it's just you know, it probably shouldn't have never, we shouldn't have never probably got together. Sometimes you can just ruin a friendship there, you know, that shouldn't really been done. And now, now it's like, overstepped the mark, but she's actually in the Charlie Brown video, uh-huh. you know, and, and um Fallon is, and, um and she did amazing. She'd never done no acting or anything like that, but she was just willing to sort of give it a go and play this part. And, you know, it's not her, she's playing a part called Charlie Brown. She's playing the, you know, Charlie Brown but the song itself is about addiction and my addiction, you know, and just fighting with addiction, but
0: yeah. of like you wake up, wake up and throw a bottle back.
1: Yeah, that's it. And and that's kind of where it is. And I come out of jail and everyone was expecting me to go back on the drugs and things like that. And after a couple of months, you know, award-winning director Ricky Arnett from Rise of the Foot Soldier, who is huge in 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 round Europe and things like that? I'm not sure so much of the states.
0: I have to but look, he done
1: look. Oh yeah, yeah, he's a serious actor. He's just you know one of the big British cult actor.
0: Mhm. And R&D. um,
1: yeah, and uh sort of he he he'd known the band since about 2007, since rise of the Foot Soldier come out, and um. He was just getting on the bandwagon straight away because he could see that I was trying to turn my life around. He'd always loved the band, and you know it was coming up to ten years, like we're in our ten year anniversary now with Warners. My brother had had cancer and overcome it. I'd overcome all the drug problems and the despair and so and your brother made it through he made it through, yeah like and and you know obviously he's still in readmission and it's just one of them things, you know, it's just like that was my epiphany. Finding out my brother had cancer. I went up to the Medach literally the next day and said, I don't want it no more. And it, and and I couldn't have done it any better way. I sat in a cell and I clocked it out like a fucking grown ass man, the same way as I started taking it. And and you know what? I think if I'd beat it around the bush, going on substitutes, weaming off and all the rest of it, which they never actually fucking weam you off of. They just right. seem to just leave you on it if I'd never have done that, like, I don't think I'd still be clean to this day, I think, because I suffered so much in that three months getting clean, you know, and even still to this day, I'm still an addict, you know, I'm still, it's just like, you know, in, you know, once an addict, always an addict, And, and obviously, I'm still to this day, rewiring my brain, you know, like, almost four years on, it's four years on the 2nd of June, you know, since I've, I stopped all that shit, and I do smoke a bit of weed, I smoke the odd spliff, but I mean, fuck me, if you see one of my spliffs, it's what most people would drop on the floor, rolling a spliff, you know, it's right. I barely smoke. smoke. It doesn't take and much
0: I mean, if you've been away from it. Yeah, you
1: know? well, that's true, that's true, but, um, so yeah, so, It's one of them. And then we had the um, issue that um, one of our band members had passed away, so, and he was named on the contract. So we spoke to his family and they were like, just put the band back together. It's what he would have wanted and that. And so um, we we, we went in search of a bass player and, and that's where Jamie Simon came in. Like now, Jamie Simon, I remember him with his parents at gigs when we were about 12, when we used to do the O2s. This uh-huh. kid used to love me. And obviously where I was living in Oxford, I was a bit of a local hero at the time. And um, he used to like bump into me all the time because he lived near me and he was just completely bewildered. Yeah. But I remember him getting his first bass guitar, and he was so small at the time, yeah, because he's he's about, he's, he's a few years younger than us, but he gives us that bit of youth and brings a bit of motivation to the band again, gets us, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and like, so it's, So basically, yeah, we, we, we took one of our fans who was an amazing bassist, really, and brought him into the band, and we got to the first rehearsal with him, and he's pulling out, like, fucking all the music all written down, like, in musical notes and me and my brother were looking at each other and goes what's that and he goes "Oh, that's Charlie Brown it was just like my brother was like oh yeah two minutes in the band and he fucking thinks he's wrote the songs you know what I mean because we we can't read or write music me and my brother you know it comes from the heart not the head you know yeah, yeah. I, I know and, a lot
0: and of musicians that.
1: like that yeah John Lennon I mean all the greats were like that but you know, it's the way my dad taught us, you know. I think, you know, I'm not interested in the theory of music. I'm interested in the practical, you know. It's all about getting to the chorus, big, you know, big sing-along choruses and things like that. And that's what this album's about. It's about, you know, it's, a, it's, it's, you know, it's it's a work of art. It This album, it really is a work of art. And especially now, I think if the album had come out five years ago, as it should have, um, it wouldn't mean so much to me as it does now. Yeah. Being sat in a cell for five years, knowing that I had this big 300 gram recording, like just sat there that the world had never heard. I mean, I was completely, that was the only thing keeping my heart going and keeping me going was the fact that I still had that ally. I still had Warner Brothers. I'd lost everything else in my life, but I still have publishing, something that I'd worked my whole life for. So like, uh, and that was what kind of kept me going. And uh, and it was just jail to jail. They were just shipping me all around the UK, and just I was just smashing up jails, and just you know I hadn't seen my family in a few years, and it was just it was really bad. They wouldn't let me go to my grandfather's funeral, and that's kind of where it went. And then eventually I I got close to home, but I only had like six months left, and then I got told I was getting out, and then I was scared about getting out, and. And that's where Fallon came into it, really. She was amazing. I mean, what she had to put up with with me, like, because my head, I, I picked up so many bad traits after five years. It was, I was like, my head was just full of conflict and war and fucking negativity and just all this fucking sadness. And just, you know, and I kept shutting the door of my room and she, she grabs the door one day and she goes, why do you keep shutting the door? She's like, you're free now, you can just open it. You know what I mean? Don't have to shut the door no more. And yeah. it was like silly things like that. And and she did. She she sort of broke started breaking me away from it. And then as she started breaking me away from it, my confidence started getting back and my independence started coming back. And then my belief in myself and then my song started coming back. And now the fire's raging. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, man. now. Now, like I don't believe in myself so much, but the mu—I don't take myself seriously, but the music I take very fucking seriously. There's nothing I-, I take more serious in life than my songwriting as a- as an artist. you know?
0: Yeah. Do you have like and, a- um, do you write daily, like all the time, or do you just always have a pad of paper? Yeah, I mean, with you I mean like, like I was oh. up all night last night. I was up all night last
1: night. Um, just writing a new tune and. And it's the the direction it's going that I'm actually surprising myself now. Like I can honestly say without being biased that I, I feel like I'm becoming the songwriter I always wish to become, you know, like I feel like my songs.
0: What happened?
1: Yeah. I just, I just, um, Yeah, it's just, and my brother's songwriting as well is unbelievable. Like, like the songs he's coming out with as well. Unbelievable. Got a little phone call there.
0: I got a phone call. Hold on a second. I'm going to do a thing. All right. So I can't see you. I got to find you (laughs) somehow on my computer. Well, I
1: can
0: hear you perfectly. There it is. I can see you. Let's go to the meeting. What? Where, where the hell are we? Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, I can hear you. Everything's normal. Right. Well, that's good. We'll get the uh, video going here in a second. I think it's there. what 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 ah. I don't know how to get back to the meeting
1: well it's still recording and we're still good
0: yeah, that's true um I'm gonna get there um <laughs> yeah, so continue with your story then and i will uh I will try to find the video here somehow yeah, so um
1: that's kind of how it is anyway so we just so you know I had five years of sitting in the cell tearing my hair out and all the rest of it and I come out I was almost 16 stone I was just you know just just a broken man really but but I had hope you know I had you know I had hope and I'm just glad that I got out and I I was worried that my dad was going to die because he was really ill at the time you know and he's had he's had amputations now you know through diabetes on dialysis all the rest of it but he was getting so ill and I hadn't seen him in so many years and that's the thing as well like you know you see your, your family one day and then you don't see them for five and a half years and you sort of come home and I realized how old they were getting, you know, it's just like to everyone else around them wouldn't have seen that change. But I, I, it was like, whoa, how fragile and frail my family were looking, you know, it just. So um. I had that
0: experience once my mom, I I came home from overseas. Uh, I was in Okinawa for a year. And in that one year, her hair went, you know, from kind of a brownish light, maybe some gray to all gray. That's like my mum. Yeah, it was mom just was like, insane. what the heck? Yeah. It's so weird. It does, like, it It kind of brings you to terms with mortality at that point. You're like, holy shit. Yeah. My and that's like, another thing as well, that, because,
1: you know, it's just like, I'm really lucky that my parents and um, my siblings and that, we've always had our parents together and things like that. They're still together now, you know? <laughs> we've been together 40 years and married and um, and um, I'm really grateful for that compared to most of my mates because obviously we did grow up on a rough council estate you know if you went on holidays you were classed as a rich kid you know it's, it's kind yeah. of like that's how it is you know I mean and um, you know but the unity you got on a, a council estate we we all sort of stick together like one end of my town is like posh full of rich you know some of the poshest people and most um clever people in the world you know and then literally a mile down the road literally there's one bridge separating it it's it's just run down council estate you know poverty and Which crime as
0: a camden you said
1: well camden as well i lived in camden for years but fucking um but now just outside just outside london i'm basically slough i'm about ten, fifteen minutes outside of London, between London and Windsor, I am. Yeah.
0: Well, it looks like you've got some land around you. I've seen some videos. You know, you get outside. It looks like it's kind of nice, kind of countryish.
1: Oh yeah, it's beautiful. Don't get me wrong. I've always had like good taste in places like that. I mean, I, I do, I do love, I do, I, I do love, um, my architect and and beautiful buildings and things like that I think maybe that could have something to do with like growing up on a a poor rough council estate I don't know but I do try and like you know I mean we're, we're the most real band out there we're real we'll tell how it is there's no skeletons in my closet you ask me a question I'm going to give you an honest answer yeah, and, and that's the bottom line. And I'll just put it out there. And then that way, what can people throw at you if you've already fucking put it out there? Because uh-huh. I've learned from my mistakes. It's been a big learning curve for me. And I've paid the price. You know what I mean? So I've got no regrets now. I've got no, you know, I've got no regrets about nothing, even spending all the money and things like that, you know. And it was all my money anyway. But I probably shouldn't have fired my accountant and lost the studio and, and ended up in prison. Yeah. but it is what it is and it's all part of the story and you know everyone loves the underdog and everyone loves a comeback story right
0: yeah oh yeah no i think uh redemption stories are are something everybody wants um wants yeah. to, you know
1: but there's i mean so many people are getting involved in the band now like we've just got management and um, you know we're going back in the studio. We're adding these tunes to the album. We're going to tart up a few of the other tunes. And uh, and I'm really proud of it. You know, it's I'm glad that I've had the opportunity to come out and be able to have this time with my brother to finish what we started. You know, and and and, and that means more to me than any record sales or Warner so you Brothers. You
0: again, even after all of that you've come back together and you guys are tight.
1: Yeah. More tighter than ever, like more tighter than ever now. You know what I mean? It's like when I found out he had cancer in prison, I then give up all the fags, to everything. And I devoted myself. Every penny I had went on the phone and I'd phone in the same time every night. And for about two years solid in prison, I used to just sit there and add this acoustic guitar. I still got the acoustic guitar. Actually. It's here in this room with me right now. Yeah. Right. But, um, and like I basically had about three strings. I had about three strings on it for about a year, and I, I had to tune it up like C six C six Steve. Do you know what I mean? And right. um and like C six Steve. And like I basically I had to fucking like add three strings. and I had to tune it a certain way, and I was like almost had to relearn the guitar and like learn tunes like with just free free strings and that. And I used to play my brother tunes down the down the phone to him, and and all the rest of it, and just. We sort of like buzzed off it like that for ages, but um, it was an emotional night when Simon turned round to me and said, "I want to put the band back together." And then, obviously, speaking to our associates at Warner and them saying it's coming up to ten years, you should really think about um, doing something, you know. Yeah. And and things things like that. And then obviously the corona's held us up. We were booked for Reading and Leeds only, but it was like I was going to play an acoustic set because we weren't sure whether the band was going to get tight at the time, you know. But um, so like, uh, we were going to do it, and then obviously the Reading weekend is the most important weekend of my life, and I waited six years for that, and and for the Corona to sort of like shut it down and that, and you know i spent that weekend on my own it's just I, I really got let down that weekend as you know to a point where i, I don't think i'll ever get over either. you know so i'm kind of looking forward to next year getting out there and um and really fucking making a difference to people's lives and just just getting these songs heard because I'm just the fucking messenger at the end of the day these the songs sort of write themselves I come up I can write melodies all day long but the words I have to wait for in my eyes they come from the gods of rock and roll or wherever you know
0: yeah yeah gotta have the muse some at some point it's yeah like your experience is informing some good stuff if it kept you up all night
1: yeah, yeah. And and this is the thing, like I, I find a lot of my writing I do in the middle of the night as well. Like I'll I'll play about melodies all day long. Sometimes I'll just be walking down the street and I'll start humming something in my head. And then, you know, and then all of a sudden it will just then develop into a song, you know? Or I might just hear a line, it might just be a catchphrase, or I might just walk down the road and see some kids' t shirt with a phrase on it. Yeah. And it'll be like a whole song will come from it. Isn't
0: that amazing how so, that happens? It's hard to it's no explaining it. Pardon? There's no explaining it. I mean, nah. you can have a habit of writing, which you should have a habit of writing so that your brain automatically goes, oh, I need to write this when, yeah. when it come up. Um, so that's one thing I've been trying to establish is a daily writing habit. And uh, yeah. just because
1: it's hard
0: to keep... it helps me sort it out, you know? the fuck happened oh what what you keep popping out mike michael do you go by mike or michael
1: yeah you come really quiet all of a sudden once that i got quiet oh no it's better now
0: okay there we go <laughs> so i forgot what i was asking you there um oh do you write regularly like just out of habit
1: yeah, so like, um, if I'm on the move and that, I'll use voice memos in my phone, and I I might just like write like sentences down, just talk them into like a dictaphone, like with my phone. Yeah. But initially, I'll sit down with the guitar, and I'll just, you know, either have it sort of film in, and just it'll be like a fifteen minute long song, and I'll just chop it down to three minutes and take the best out of it and and arrange it all properly, you know. But mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I do. I'm a songwriter. I have 17 published songs with Warner Brothers. So, like, that's 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 what I do. And so,
0: it's now not you, good for the people.
1: You write not songs. Good for the people. Tell them to others. Yeah, yeah. I've wrote songs for other artists as silent writers. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've been working with a couple of artists this year as well, which I'm not really allowed to talk about at the minute. But um, is that fun? Like, work? Is it challenging? I mean. Well, it's not really challenging because when you're writing for because basically I just write for myself and then and then I'll go, that'll work with LAC, that ain't gonna work with LAC. So it'll be like what's going on the burner and what's what's going in the tin, you know? And it's uh-huh. just and and that's kind of how I work and then and then obviously I'm on a large publishing company and the songs just sort of sit there in the vault and when certain artists are looking for new sounds and things like that, you know, they just I suppose plough through things you know I, I don't know and then all of a sudden you get a lawyer phoning you up saying you need to come down here and have a chat with us but then when you work with other artists this is it's better anyway it's much easier it's not like working with my band and and nor does it have my heart either but you kind of just give it away you got you know you just as long as they ain't changing the melody or the arrangement of the song I mean they can pretty much do what they want with it. It's 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 really out of my hands. The song's written, so the job's already done when it goes to someone else, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, writing's definitely the place to be in music. It's where the money is.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: Yeah. So I mean, definitely writing your own music, but if you can write it for others, shit. I mean, yeah. Dylan's got a lot of songs others have, you know, played and Willie Nelson has a bunch of songs other people have played.
1: Yeah, two two great artists, them two as well. Mm-hmm. Some you know, amazing artists. You know, Johnny Cash is one of my favorites. You know,
0: who is it?
1: Johnny Cash? I oh love yeah, Johnny, I love
0: Johnny, Cash.
1: Johnny Cash. Yeah, no, you can't. And do you know what? I'm thinking about doing Folsom Prison Blues. You know, just because of all the times I'd played it in jail to myself in the cell. You know, just. No, you should. You got rights. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like like I understand the tune as well, getting moved from jail to jail and all the rest of it. And just <clears throat> like, I get what where he was. Yeah. Where he was coming from with that song, you know what I mean? And it just, I know it's a famous tune of it and all the rest of it, but it is a fucking great old little number, you know? And I love a lot of that old um American sort of blues, John Lee Hooker and all the rest of it. That's kind of where it all started for me, you know?
0: Yeah. Like uh, Wayland Jennings too. I don't know if you you ever get into that old time country. You know, it's yeah. contemporary of Johnny Cash, <clears throat> but he's got pipes. Man, he can sing so beautifully. You know.
1: Yeah, unbelievable. Right up to the end. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I kind of it's weird because I I grew up with country all around me. Yeah, needed country as I got older. Yeah,
1: that's what I mean. That's exactly the same as me yeah. because like, I had Johnny Cash in my life the whole time, but like, yeah. never sunk into him to when I like must have started getting clued up to the world or something. And then suddenly it was just like, oh my God, this is what I've been missing.
0: Yeah, yeah. there's some, But some- it was actually better but- as well because
1: the whole back catalog was there waiting for me in one hit. You know what I mean? So when I did actually did get into Johnny Cash, it's just like I had an encyclopedia of Johnny Cash, you know what I mean, to just yeah. plow through. And that was the amazing thing. And it was the same with The Clash as well and The Sex Pistols.
0: Oh, I love The Clash. You know?
1: Yeah, well, I know Mick Jones a bit and his daughter. And I know Joe Strummer's daughter, Lola, a little bit as well. So.
0: Yeah, they, know, were, they were just, amazing. And I loved how they were kind of continually reinventing themselves. Like their Oh, completely. Their style. The way. Completely I mean, they. From they, album. They,
1: yeah, I mean, when you listen to Charlie Brown, I mean, when I listen to Charlie Brown, I hear Clash all over it, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It's just like, I hear Clash pistols all over it, you know, in, in terms of, like, energy, guitar, you know, British punk and, and all the rest of it, and that's kind of how the story sort of starts. But one, once we've done all four, four or five videos for the album, if you play one video, like, there's two videos out now, so you've got L.A.C. Boston Boy. And you've got LAC Charlie Brown. But if you play, by the time you get to the fifth video, if you watch the first video to the end video, it's going to play a film. And then obviously Charlie Brown, my ex-partner, Fallon, the one that saved me when I come out of jail, helped me get back to my mind and get me independent again. We're still close, though. I've known her my whole life, you know? So, <coughs> um, like, um, she sort of played the part of Charlie Brown and... Yeah, so and and she was really uncomfortable. She'd never worked with this. And and the camera guy had done five Harry Potter films, Free Pirates of the Caribbean. The director was an award-winning director. And so it was really daunting for her at the time. Her anxieties were going everywhere. And my anxieties were going everywhere because, you know, I'd just come out of jail. This is the first thing that we're doing. And the band were getting back together. And now it was just suddenly happening all so fast, you know. So the last 10 months have just been a fucking roller coaster, really in that sense. And the, the Corona hasn't actually held my band down. O- the only time it's held us down is the fact that we ain't done no festivals or no gigs this year. We just uh-huh. sat here doing nothing. And that's the one thing that we do it for, right? You know, to get out there and play live and fucking see everyone jump up and down and the pints go everywhere, you know?
0: Right. Right. Yeah. That, that part's missing. You know, I have friends who are musicians and that, that's been really, really difficult for him, you know?
1: Oh, it's, it's affected me mentally and mental health as well, you know, because obviously being in the cell waiting all them years for it, and it's just, you don't realize that was all I had. Like, like every, you know, anyone who knows me knows that the Reading Festival weekend, the Reading Festival is my favorite festival. It's not the biggest festival I go to or whatever, but it's just fucking for, um, atmosphere and for new bands, new music, it is the one in the UK, you know. It is yeah. Reading and Leeds. And so, um, and and where it's I live so close awful. to it, it's only about five, six miles down the road as well where it's held. So it's very right. local to me. So I know a lot of the people that are running it. So it's <clears throat> it's always been a massive part of my life, you know. Yeah. So, um, you know, that was where all my efforts and my goals and my achievements were all put into our, this festival season when I get out. And, um, obviously it was all taken away from us.
0: I have a, I have to stop. I have somebody here that I need to talk to. Um, we could probably wrap this up. We've got about an hour. Yeah. Um, I do want to I like close with one thing that I kind of always ask everybody. And I think I know the answer already because you've really talked about it. Um, utilizing you and your skills, your talents, your abilities. Oh, my God. Da, 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 da. Mike, Michael, can you hear me still? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Uh, Yeah, I can hear you. I just got to figure out how how I did this last time. I think I went like this. There we go. There you are. So, uh, yeah, using your talent, skills, and abilities, um, what's one thing that you think you are doing to make the world a better place? I'm giving
1: people hope. I'm giving people hope. That's what I'm doing.
0: Sounds like you've got somebody else too. So the world's intervening for us to shut down this show and get moving on. Uh, Michael, I want to thank you so much for uh, being here. How can we hear your music?
1: Um, You can hear the music. um, LAC Band UK. You can go onto my Facebook, Michael Davis. Um, That seems to be where it's all happening at the minute. You can Spotify us, stream us on Spotify, Apple, Apple. So yeah, yeah, it's just LAC band or just put into Google search LAC Borstal boy or LAC Charlie Brown, the two records that we've put out already. All right. So, man. and it'll all come up the press, everything like that. Well, that
0: we've had off of it and everything like that. Well, thank you. There's a, usually a couple of days on turnaround for, uh, uh, publishing this. Um, so all- I'll get you the link when we're, when we're, when we're done. Thank you very
1: much for having me, and uh, yeah, much love, man, from England, man. Much
0: love from LAC. All right, thank you, Michael. Have a great day, ladies and gentlemen. You You have a nice, have a nice evening, or day for you. Yeah, it's a day for for me. me. Have a nice evening. Yeah, day for you.
1: It's Sunday morning for you, isn't it? It's Sunday night for me.
0: Sunday morning, (laughs) some Lou Reed on, some Velvet Underground.
1: (laughs) God bless you. You have a nice day,
0: okay. Bless you too. You take it easy.
1: All right, thank you. All right, bye bye.
0: Bye.